And so our first reading is taken from the Old Testament, from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, beginning at verse 1. Uh, if you want to follow it in your pew Bibles, you will find that on page 788. And it's called A Letter to the Exiles. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Thanks be to God for his almighty word. Amen. Second reading this evening is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 10. I'll read from verse 8 to 15. It's on page 1137 of the NIV with you. Reading from Romans, chapter 10, from 8 to 15, from the New International Version. But what does it say? The world is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith 
that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who have not believed in him? Who have not believed in? Whom they whom one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Verse 15, the last verse. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As they bring good news to us tonight, may that good news touch all our hearts. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As we sit, shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that your word is good news. Thank you that it's good news of salvation. Thank you that it's good news for the city. Thank you that it's good news that we have heard and that you entrust to us. Lord, we ask you that you will you'll fire our hearts tonight and that we will be your bearers of good news. In your name, amen. Letters, emails. I'm guessing that we all receive loads of them. Probably more emails than letters these days. Though maybe Charles gets more letters, I don't know. Um, not to mention texts, WhatsApps, Facebook messages, tweets, Instagrams and Snapchats. All of them assail us constantly. Many are trivial. Many we don't want. Some are important. But a few... Just a few are vital. Some are even life-changing, challenging the very way that we live. Our reading from Jeremiah this evening is a letter from Jeremiah to the Jews in exile in Babylon. It was carried by King Zedekiah's envoy to Nebuchadnezzar. There were probably lots and lots of letters going back and forth like this. But this, this letter is different. This letter would have knocked the exiles for six. It's one of those letters which they really wouldn't have expected and really wouldn't have wanted to get. Remember that these people are in exile. They've been forcibly removed from their home, from the promised land. The promised land, the land that God gave them, the land that he led them for 40 years through the wilderness to. They've been forcibly removed from Jerusalem, from the city of God, from the place where God has made his dwelling. And indeed, 
Jerusalem, God's city, now lies under Babylonian control, with Zedekiah as a tributary king, a puppet. In fact, it wouldn't be long before Nebuchadnezzar, following Zedekiah's attempted revolt, raised the city to the ground, even destroying the temple. Unthinkable. Unthinkable. These are the people for whom the horrors of living in Babylon, the horrors of living within the city of their conquerors and persecutors was very, very real. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How? How? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And yet it is to these people that the word of the Lord comes via Jeremiah in this letter. And it is a challenging word, that's an understatement. It is a surprising and unexpected word. They are asking how they can sing the Lord's song in a foreign land amongst people who have butchered their children. And yet, and yet that is just what God is asking them to do. That is just what God is asking them to do. He is indeed commanding them to make their home in Babylon. To pray for it. To settle there. To have children there. To bring up their children there. Surely one of the biggest commitments of all. Not to treat it as somewhere to be held at arm's length. But rather to commit wholeheartedly to it. To seek its prosperity. Psalm 137 begs God to smash their children's heads against a rock. And God is commanding them rather to seek its prosperity. The Hebrew, in fact, is to seek its peace, its shalom. That rich, rich Hebrew word. To seek its shalom. I don't think we can even begin to understand just how shocking, just how shocking this would have been to those exiles. They would have been used to God calling them to commit to the holy city, to the city of God, to Jerusalem. They would have been used to him speaking of his love, his love for the city, for his city. Think of Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. But here, this is different, isn't it? Here, we're talking about Babylon, the great pagan stronghold, the antithesis of everything that is holy, of everything that is good, where God is absent. How on earth, how on earth can they settle here? How on earth can they pray to the Lord for it. 
How on earth can they praise the Lord for it? Surely that cannot be right. Surely their prophets, who they encourage, must be right when they tell them to separate themselves off, to keep far, as far apart as possible, to depart imaginatively, to live elsewhere in their heads, to get as far apart as possible, to do anything and everything to avoid putting down roots in this evil, pagan city. But that is not what God calls them to. God's call is clear and concrete. He, his call is to this place at this time. It is surprising and it is missional. Deeply, deeply missional. And it is as they commit and seek the good of this city, this evil pagan city, rather like Nineveh, that God also loved. The shalom of this city, that they themselves will prosper, that they themselves will find shalom, the peace of God. I don't think we can even begin to grasp just how shocking that would have been to those Jews in exile. It would have gone against all their most ingrained instincts. It would have felt like a betrayal of the promised land, of the holy city, of their very identity as a chosen people. And yet this is what God is absolutely clearly asking of them. This is very clearly his mandate for the exile. And indeed, we see elsewhere examples in Daniel, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of where this command is taken to heart and lived out and how God works powerfully through their obedience. It is only after they have bedded down after they have been obedient, that the promise follows. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. How often have we heard that promise? Probably one of the most quoted promises in scripture, isn't it? And it was an important promise then, and one indeed which God kept. And it is important now. Important for us as we work out whether we can trust God, as we never navigate the important decisions of life. But one of the really key things which we have to establish as we read the Bible is what does it mean for us today? What does the story of a prophecy to some Jewish exiles have to say to us here in 21st century London? Does it have any relevance at all? Or is the only relevance actually just a nice, comforting promise at the end, which we can apply and hold on to when things are tough, whilst consigning the rest of the passage to divine history? Actually, 
actually its relevance, like so much biblical prophecy, is much deeper and richer than that. Here we discover something really, really profound. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is passionate about cities. I wish I had time to take you right through. I don't tonight, otherwise you'll never get home to bed. But we don't here just have a word for one group of people at one time. We have a word, a prophetic word, for God's people now, today. Did you know that the UN Population Division's massive study on world population prospects suggests that by 2050, the world will be 68.7% urban? That's a lot, isn't it? In more developed regions, the number is likely to, eat, to reach 86.2%. 86.2%. Amazingly, by mid-century, the world urban population will likely be the same size as the world's total population in 2004. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? The current population of London, I don't know if you know this, is 8,615,246. And it's growing. It's growing. Cities are important. Cities matter. Cities are places that attract people, people of all sorts, with all sorts of aspirations and needs. They're places of growth, of dynamism, life and power. They are places to which the weak and the vulnerable come for safety. That, after all, is why the first city was built. Think of Cain. And it's still why people risk their lives and everything they have and their families to get to the great cities of the developed world. They are places where spirituality of all sorts thrives because people are always asking questions always looking for meaning and looking for answers people come to cities inquiring they are dynamic creative places cities attract people they are rich in life and rich in need and yet all the statistics show Yet Christians move out of cities. Christians move out of cities. They move out into the suburbs. They move out to country towns and rural idylls. It is almost as if there is an unspoken urge, like that of the Jewish exiles, to get back, back to the promised land, back to Eden, back to something which is rightfully ours. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. We're children of the new creation after all, aren't we? And yet God's word to us as we contemplate this beautiful, flourishing, const constantly growing, desperately needy city of London is. Make your home here. Commit to this place. Commit to these people who I am sending here from all over the world. Root your families here. 
Don't assume that this isn't good enough for them. Love, love this place as I do. Love these people, all of them, in all their mess and all their craziness. Preach the gospel to them. How lovely in the streets, in the subways, are the feet of those who bring good news. Live the gospel with them. They will never know just how much there is on offer for them if no one lives it, if no one shares it, if no one speaks it with them. If the Christians go searching for some earthly Eden. This, says the Lord, is my harvest field. And boy, is it ripe for harvesting. So very ripe. Come claim this city for me, with me. Even as the first disciples did at the beginning of my church. Do you know the early church spread through cities? That's how Christianity first spread. Remember that we are called to be aliens in this world. We are not to expect to be comfortable. And remember that the promise still holds. I will give you a hope and a future. But this isn't the hope and the future which those first exiles expected. This isn't the earthly Jerusalem. This isn't the longed for return to the promised land. It is not even return to Eden which we all so often seem to hanker after. No, this is the hope and the future spoken of in Revelation. The new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. The heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. As we love the earthly city to which we are called, with the passionate love with which God loves it, as we ignore those false prophets who tell us that we should separate ourselves off, that we should look after ourselves and our families first. And boy, there are lots of those around, aren't there? Because God can't be trusted to do it if we stay in the city. As we love the city, as we bring true worship of the one living God to the heart of the city, so we also look forward with eager longing to the hope and the future which God has prepared for us. That is the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. That is his incomparable promise to us. So we will live as redeeming presences in this earthly city, in these earthly cities. We will commit to allow God to transform them through us. We will not live as natives. Christians don't go native. We will not live as tourists or travellers. We will be resident aliens, praying, settling, committing, loving, following the call of God into these tough, hurting, growing, exciting places which speak to us of the kingdom to come. Should we pray?
Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you called your people to get stuck in in your world, even in the harsh city of Babylon. Thank you that you were there with them then and you are here with us now. Thank you for calling us here now. Thank you for this amazing city. Lord, we pray. We pray that you will give us the courage to reach out and that we will see even here your hand that we will see you changing and transforming this city for you. In your name we pray. Amen.